Hello and welcome to Abiy Mus Papam, episode 205, Eugene the Fourth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So last episode we ended the Great Western Schism with the Council of Constance and the Pontificate of Martin V. But the effects of such a huge crisis in the church aren't going to be gone overnight, and a lot of the loose ends from last week are going to have to affect our Pope for today. Now, our Pope today was born in 1383. His name was Gabriele Condulumero, a Venetian of a noble family. While he was fairly young, he received an inheritance of 20,000 ducats, but he gave his money away and he entered religious life as an Augustinian canon, in part because one of his cousins was a canon as well. Um, But when his uncle, his mother's brother, became Pope Gregory XII, he was summoned to Rome with his cousin uh, by his now elevated relative. Having such an uncle had perks, and before he was 25 years old, he was appointed the Bishop of Siena, even though that was technically against canon law at the time. Again, it helps if your uncle's the Pope. The people of Siena didn't like having a non-native bishop, much less someone so young, so he resigned his position instead in 1408, and he was named the Cardinal Priest of San Clemente by his uncle. He was one of the few cardinals who stuck with him throughout the schism and didn't go over to the Pisan antipope Benedict XIII. Now, during the pontificate of Martin V, Cardinal Condulamero served in several important diplomatic missions, which led to a rise in his standing among the cardinals when it came to choose a successor to Martin V. The cardinals met in Rome in the, Saint, in the church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva in the winter of 1431, and chose Cardinal Condomero as Pope, and he took the name Eugene IV. Now, the first thing on the Cardinal's plate was the most recently called Council, the Council of Basel, which had just begun when Pope Martin V had died. If you remember from last time, there was a movement in the church called, um, sparked by the crisis of the Great Western Schism, called conciliarism. And it asserted that the Ecumenical Council was superior to the papacy and that the real governance of the church should occur through the Ecumenical Council. The bull of the Council of Constance, called Frequens, stated that the councils should be called at regular intervals. So the second of those councils was the council called in 1431 in Basel, Switzerland. Now, Eugene's papacy did not get off to a great start. His first goal was to try and get control of Rome from the Colonna family, which, if you remember, was the family of his immediate predecessor, Martin V. He attacked the Colonna fortress in Rome, the Castel San Angelo, but he was repulsed, and the Colonnas seemed to have an upper hand for the time. Now, at the same time, the Pope decided to put an end to the Council of Basel, decreeing on December, 4, December 18, 1431, the dissolution of the Council. But the Council would not go quietly. They were backed by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund of Luxembourg, who was a major political force behind the conciliar movement and who basically solved the Western Schism at Constance. So instead of disbanding, the Council Fathers demanded that the Pope come to Basel himself and answer for what he'd done. The Pope was seen as imperious and intransigent, and at this point, the public seemed to turn against him. So it's not a great start to his pontificate, and and soon Eugene bowed to the pressure, and in December 1433, he agreed to reestablish the council. Now, it helped that the Holy Roman Emperor had come to Rome directly in March of 1433 to be crowned at St. Peter's, and his proximity must have been a factor in changing the Pope's mind. The council, meanwhile, used this victory to its advantage and made increasing demands on the Pope including demanding that the papal revenue go to fund their new administration they're building in Basel, and basically trying to turn the Pope into a figurehead of the church like a constitutional monarch, while the real power resided with the council. 
In the meantime, back in Rome, things were still not looking great for the Pope in his conflict with the Colonnas. By 1434, things had gotten so bad that an all-out rebellion had begun and the Pope was forced to flee, disguised as a simple monk. He sailed down the Tiber to the sea and then from there to Florence. And while he was on his way out, some of the Romans recognized him and started throwing rocks and stuff at him, but he managed to escape pretty much intact. Now, while in Florence, the Pope consecrated the new Duomo. If you've been to Florence, you've seen the beautiful cathedral there. It was one of the landmarks of Florence and still is to this day. And it was the emblem of the new Renaissance spirit, which was awakening in Italy. Now, a conflict with the Council of Basel, however, kept going. And a new factor entered into the debate, which kind of turned the tide for the Pope. If you remember from last week, one of the loose ends we were talking about was that the Greek Orthodox Church and the remnant of the Byzantine Empire was seeking to reunite with the West in order to help stave off the Ottoman Turks who were threatening Constantinople. They sent representatives to Europe asking for a council, and the Pope and the Council of Basel Basel responded. The Pope suggested a council in Italy, while the Council of Basel wanted one further north. And in the end, the Greeks went with Italy, and the Pope officially moved the Council of Basel to Ferrara in 1437. Now, those members of the Council of Basel who were most sympathetic to the Pope, including the famous Cardinal Nicholas of Cusa, moved to Ferrara, but a rump of the most radical remained in Basel. In 1438, the Council opened at Ferrara, and it was primarily a reunion council between the Greeks and the Latins, and it featured a who's who of the Greek church, the Patriarch of Constantinople, several prominent Greek theologians, including Isidore of Kiev and Bessarion of Nicaea, And the debate focused on key theological sticking points, including the filioque, which we mentioned a long, long time ago, which was a declaration in the creed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And then it also talked about other differences in practice and liturgy, things like that. The council was really at an impasse, and there was a fear that nothing would be accomplished. And on top of that, some disease broke out in Ferrara that threatened the health and safety of the council members, and so it was not looking good. So to stave off despair, the Pope moved the council in 1439 to Florence. Now, once in Florence, the debate picked up again, and this time, several of the anti-unionists in the Greek side began to switch. Bessarion of Nicaea was the leader of this bunch, and at a meeting of the Greek representatives, he strongly encouraged them to come to an agreement. An agreement was reached through the help of Bessarion, Isidore of Kiev, and Pope Eugene, and in June of 1439, the Greeks and Latins found a formula which they could both agree to, and a formal reunion of the churches was almost there. That happened on July 6, 1439, when the council proclaimed the Bull Laetentor Celli, in which the formal reunion was agreed to. Now, it would need to be ratified by the Greek church back in Constantinople, but at the surface, at least, the council was a success. Bessarion and Isidore were named cardinals not long afterwards, and they were sent back to the east to help confirm the decisions of the council. But in all this, we've forgotten our radical friends back in Basel. They were not happy with the whole situation. In January of 1438, the Council of Basel declared that Pope Eugene was suspended from the papacy and then deposed on June of 1439. All that was left of the the council was one cardinal and a handful of bishops, and that small group elected the Duke of Savoy, the new pope, who took the name Felix V, making him another anti-pope. But it was definitely the wrong move. With this step, the Council of Basel was totally discredited by the rest of the church. No one wanted to go back to the time of having multiple people claiming to be pope, And with the good news about reunion coming from Italy, Basel looked pretty petty and weak, and and it was certainly not the heart of the church. So with all these triumphs, Pope Eugene was still in exile from Rome and needed the help of other European powers to get back to the Holy See. A key piece in reestablishing papal control was the all-important kingdom of Naples. 
the kingdom had been controlled by King Alfonso of Aragon. And it seems like every episode there's some sort of conflict with who's in charge of Sicily and Naples. And I haven't been going into a lot of the details about everyone unless it plays a bigger role in the story. Plus, a lot of these conflicts are not very edifying. Uh, the head of the papal armies at this time, for example, he was later a cardinal, was apparently a particularly brutal in his tactics when he marched against Naples and fought these battles. And there's so much back and forth about who is you know, ruling Naples at the time that it's hard to keep track of it all. And so in general, I've just been kind of glossing over a lot of this. Now, Naples was pretty strategic for the Papal States. It was the southern border of the Papal States. And we've seen from the time of Gregory VII how important it was to have someone you trusted, someone you, you knew as king in Naples. Now, at this time, Martin V, the previous pope, had been supporting the Angevin, or you can read more French claim to Naples, over the Spanish Alfonso, but Alfonso was basically winning. And so with the help of another Alfonso, the Archbishop of Valencia, Alfonso Borgia, and yes, that name should sound familiar to you, a peace was struck and Eugene agreed to recognize Alfonso as king of Naples. This was enough diplomatic and military support for the Pope then to return to Rome. Now, there's not too much left we have to say. We can touch a little bit on the Pope's character. He, he loved the Augustinian canons, the religious order that he had joined when he was young, and he still lived his papacy as a canon with a deep personal piety, great integrity. He didn't practice nepotism. He wasn't extravagant in his expenditures. He was, he was a, a holy religious guy. And as we'll see going forward, this wasn't always the case with these Renaissance popes. He was also a lover of culture and the general movement of the Renaissance, albeit within the boundaries of religion. He wasn't extravagant in that way. And he did try to support his, his dear Augustinian canons, as you might expect, by reestablishing them at the Lateran in Rome. He even tried to get them moved into St. Peter's. That didn't quite work. But he, he was very focused on religious life, and that was something that was very important to him, along with all the political and um, geopolitical drama that he has to deal with. Now, towards the end of his life, Pope Eugene was still contending with the anti-Pope Felix V. He negotiated even on his deathbed with various German princes and came to a place of agreement where they would abandon the anti-Pope if he met some of their demands, which was kind of ratifying the conciliar movement in some way. Now, he kind of had a little dodge with this at the end of his life. He said, I haven't really been able to look at these things because I've been sick. I've been kind of on my deathbed. And I'll agree to them insofar as I can and insofar as it's within the, the tradition of the church. And I'm not going to bind my successor in that way. But it was enough for the German princes. They signed, and uh, he died on February 23rd, 1447, at this moment of kind of triumph over the anti-pope. And he was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. He's going to be succeeded by another Renaissance pope, Pope Nicholas V, and we'll talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of our podcasts, the Catholic Link podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We can go to catholiclink.org. Thank you, and God bless you.